It's time for the Hadit.com radio show. Hadit.com radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 15th day of June 2017. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser, and tonight we're having John Dorley, VA claims agent, and uh, he's going to give us a update on his uh, some of his uh, uh, claims he's working on, and, and uh, we'll discuss whatever we can get worked in here. Um, so, uh, how you doing today, Mr. Dorley? I'm good, guys. Good to be on the show again. I, I get on here once every month or two, and it's always a pleasure. And certainly uh, any listeners out there that want to call in and talk about their case, it's always appreciated. Or if there's any any people that listen to podcasts later, just check in with uh, com. www.hatta.com. It's got a lot of a lot of good information, and at the end of the show, I'll give you an opportunity to contact me directly. But I'm doing good. I'm staying real busy, guys. Well, I, uh, well, I hate to hear you're do, you're real busy, but I'm, you know, what I mean. I'm glad you are, but uh, uh, it does. Uh, how are you doing? Are you making any good wins? Yeah, I won't lie. I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's sweat it's 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 uh it's in the trenches with the VA every day, and, and so uh, eventually we we work hard enough, and, and the clients are cooperative almost every time. We're, we're going to get what we need with respect to disability compensation and getting these these veterans raised as high as possible. So, yeah, we we've got some good claims. Uh, just won a big case out of Winston-Salem just the other day for a, a young lady that could that could barely keep her house cool. Her air conditioner went out and her, her pets were, were in trouble, and, and it was perfect timing. We, we were able to win her claim. So those are the feel-good stories that that uh, that uh, uh, really keep me in business and make me want to continue to go on. Oh, I can believe it. Uh, that's a good deal. I'm glad to hear uh, something good coming out of there. Uh, you know, so many times it's a tale of woe, but, uh, uh, and that being said, that tale of woe a lot of times manifests itself over the, the term of the claim, and it it's hard to get them squared back away once or they get sideways on you. And you know, guys, what I try to do, and I I apply my I've been doing this a while, about like 25, 26 years, and I try to apply my experience and expertise towards disability compensation claims. That's that's really what I specialize in. Uh, I like to think that. There isn't a VA claims file that can't be fixed. Uh, certainly, any veteran out there that that has thrown up their hands and said, "The hell with it! I don't want to. I don't de- want to deal with the VA anymore." 
uh, allow me an opportunity to look in the file and see what we can do. A lot of my clients come to me word of mouth, but the majority of my clients come to me, uh, they just simply aren't getting the representation out there that they think they need. Uh, and, and certainly uh, uh, sometimes I'll take over for, for other veteran service officers or even attorneys and and. I try to help. I try to do the best I can, and to this point, it's worked out real well. Uh, one thing about the VA is is kind of an interesting point, guys. And what I what I've learned along the way a couple weeks ago is that they're really trying to revamp this appeals process. Now we all we're probably aware of the pending legislation currently going on and trying to overhaul the appeals process altogether. But what I find out what I found out recently is. What used, to be, what used to be called the Appeals Management Center is now apparently called the Appeals Management Office. And, and one of their major tasks recently is to uh, reorganize the appeals process. It's going to be up to the Appeals Management Office to determine uh, what cases are heard and what order they're heard. And, and they also look at uh, what cases are going to be brokered to other VA regional offices. Now, now, certainly that's an important point because what I learned recently, which which absolutely blew my mind, I, I knew I knew that the uh, regional offices throughout the country were were well behind with respect to original appeals and original notices of disagreement. I could hardly believe it that did you know that the Houston VA regional office in Texas is currently five years behind on original appeals that were. They're working two thousand four appeals that, yeah. That's incomprehensible. There's no excuse for that. Those claims need to be brokered out of there. They need to be put in regional offices uh, that aren't as far behind. And I've been pushing that really hard. I've got a lady out, out of Houston who uh, filed a uh, an original notice of disagreement three years ago. She filed special monthly compensation, and they came back and told me that well. We're going to be waiting at least another couple of years. And what I'm finding is there's a lot of blowback by these regional offices. Uh, Secretary Shulkin is not having a lot of influence on these regional offices anymore. So I think overall the Department of Veterans Affairs is really digging their heels in. And, and they're pretty much sticking to that company guideline to say, if you don't have a terminal illness or if you don't have a financial hardship that's backed up with foreclosure, or, or being kicked out of your apartment, or if you're not 90 years old, you wait your turn just like everyone else. And so I guess the point being is that I hope the listeners continue to impress upon their United States senators and congressmen and even email Secretary Shulkin and President Trump to hire more individuals within the Veterans Administration, train them properly, and get these appeals going sooner than later. Because there's no guarantee that this new legislation that's going to hopefully revamp this entire appeals process, there's no guarantee that's going to pass. That's right. Uh, I agree with you. And there's some some things about that uh, appeals process bill that uh, I don't think I liked. I don't remember what it was now. But anyway... Uh, I tell you, folks, you got to stay on top of these bills. This, this new legislation coming out. Also, you have to know where your claim is in accordance with these new bills. How does it affect your claim? Some of these new bills. 
this new legislation, it can be, some of it can be good, and I'm sure it is, but there's some that that uh, could be problematic, and, and you want to get a heads up on that and, and uh, somehow try to offset it or get ready for it anyway. There's got to be something that we can do. Okay, guys, the new legislation that came out, I read over the bill one time, but you know those bills that change so often and, and, and they change the verbiage, so my policy has always been let's wait for the final result to come out and see what they do. But at least my initial viewing, it, it, it doesn't look too bad. It, it looks like the, the majority of it, if not all of it, is designed to try to expedite these appeals at the Board of Veterans Appeals and the local VA regional offices. And I know that the, uh, the legislation has the blessing of the major veterans organizations, too, so I have to trust in that to some degree. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And, and the end result, really, folks, is, is to eliminate this appeals backlog, not only with the regional office but with the Board of Veterans Appeals. Do you know that it's well, an issue? Well, uh, wasn't they going to try to cut back on the remands, uh, John? Uh, I think that's what I originally read, and uh, uh, you know, after two or three remands, I think they ought to go ahead and award the claim to the veteran. If the VA can't get it right within two or three times, that's enough. Uh, they ought to credit the veteran. I think that. Yeah, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, Gerald. I, I think that. The attempts to eliminate remands, I don't think that's going to go anywhere. Anytime a claim is remanded, the administrative law judges with the Board of Veterans Appeals, they have to abide by the law as they see it. And unfortunately, if these regional laws don't do their job, the Board of Veterans Appeals have to slap their hand and remand it back. So uh, in my opinion, uh, and I've seen cases that get remanded two, three, four times sometimes, and there's no excuse for that. But I've always said that if these regional offices, through manpower and education, that's the way you cut down remands is you do the claim right the first time. You don't force the Board of Veterans Appeals Administrative Law judges to remand it back to the regional offices. So, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but, but I think that uh, in the grand scheme of things, it, it, it starts out – starts out in the beginning, guys, I think it's important for veterans to put solid, fully developed claims together right off the bat and win the claim right off the bat. Nine times out of ten, the regional offices will grant a claim if it's got good, solid evidence. Now, in those times that they don't, unfortunately, that's what causes appeals and things of that sort, but if a veteran puts together a solid, fully developed claim right off the bat, Usually you don't have to worry about appeals and remands and the whole thing along the way. Uh, unfortunately, though, and Gerald, certainly in your case, you're an exception, but you can put the best case forward, and still the regional office is going to adjudicate it uh, much differently than the Code of Federal Regulation state. Uh, so then you get into this this, this mire of, of the Board of Veterans Appeals, the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims and remands and before you know it, you're, you're 10, 12, 15 years into an appeal. So, yeah, it, it, it's quite the mess. And, and I think that uh, Secretary Shulkin, uh, 
has a long ways to go before he uh, uh, decides to start. And that, and that it creates another point, and we could talk about that a little bit. But, uh, you know, Secretary Shulkin recently uh, had uh, initiated action along with President Trump to uh, eliminate a program called TDIU, which is Total Disability Individual Unemployability for uh, veterans who reach retirement age. Now, John Stacy and I were texting back and forth today. Apparently, they, they recently uh, pulled that out of legislation or the bill that they were putting forward. Now, as John Stacy pointed out, it's like a smoldering fire. It could always rear its ugly head again. For, for the more, most point, uh, any veterans that are listening out there that are concerned about that, you can put that uh, concern to rest at least to, to a large degree because it looks like uh, the elimination of TDIU for retirement eligible for veterans is no longer being considered as an option. Oh, it's not. No, it's not. And and uh, for for people who are just learning about it, uh, just a real brief idea of what uh, TDIU is: is total disability individual unemployability. And, and it basically states that if a veteran is rated at a certain percentage level, whereas they meet the scheduler requirements as set by VA law, and if they can demonstrate that they're incapable of substantial and gainful employment, at least on a reasonable doubt basis, based on just their service-connected disabilities, the VA will pay them at the 100% rate under this TDIU plan. Uh what was getting everyone up in arms was when President Trump and, and Secretary Shulkin had introduced the idea of, well, if these guys are on TDIU or gals or guys are on TDIU and they're retirement eligible and they're collecting Social Security, why should they be collecting TDIU at the same time? Well, we can go into the ins and outs of that, of, of why you shouldn't, why you shouldn't, but, but the fact is, is that it's apple, apples and oranges, folks. Uh, and, and one is military, one is Social Security that you pay in on a civilian job. So the bottom line is that, from my understanding, and I got this from the American Legion National Commander, that they uh, they have pulled uh, off the table the elimination of EDIU uh, for retirement-eligible veterans. So, so I think that's a good thing. As an advocate, guys, uh, I look at it this way. You're going to create a lot more claims by doing this. You might be saving some money and putting it somewhere else, uh, but you're going to create a lot more claims because what I'm going to be doing is counseling all of my veterans who are on TDIU or have a pending claim for TDIU. We're going to try to get all the other disabilities upgraded so they get what they call a scheduler 100%, meaning all yeah. their disabilities add up high enough where their scheduler 100%, they wouldn't have to worry about TDIU. But then that involves initial claims, new claims, appeals, remands, and the whole thing. So I don't think the whole thing was thought out very well when they decided that they might try to take TDIU away. Well, you know step two, don't you? You know the second phase of this? What's that? There's another phase on it's going to affect all younger veterans that are 100% total and permanent and also going to IU at younger ages, under retirement age, which is probably a lot more that's on TDIU. They're going to direct the Social Security Administration to start reviewing and taking Social Security away from some of those veterans. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. I haven't heard that. This is not, uh, that's this is not shocking. Okay? Oh, this they're going the other way. It's not Trump doing this. It, 
This is Mick Mulvaney, okay? Mick Mulvaney is a, a gentleman that works in the Congressional Budget Office, and he's a budget director or whatever he is, and he's the one they brainstorm this stuff up, and they just pass these ideas off. Only thing, they're bean counters. They don't, you know, they don't care about people. Only thing they see is numbers. So that John, is, uh, my this is uh, this is the same guy that tried to take away uh, sleep apnea at the fifty percent level. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, Mr. Yeah, this guy is, Call him Edward. Edward Hart. My understanding is this guy is, is on an island by himself for the most part. He he, he throws these things out there, and, and at least in my experience, John, maybe you've had a different experience, but in my experience, uh, he'll throw it out there. He'll, he'll provide rationale. It, it never happens. I mean, this is the same guy that tried to say a veteran who, who were rated for obstructive sleep apnea or central sleep apnea, and, and needed a uh, requirement of a CPAP machine, they should, be, they should not be getting 50%. Well, that got everyone all worked up, and all it was yeah. was he was blowing smoke. It never got passed. In fact, but when the law came out, guys, it made it easier to get 50% for a sleep apnea because they, they made the requirement. You don't, you don't just need a CPAP machine. If you have some sort of device, like a, a, a mouth device or prescribed by a doctor, that would suffice. Uh, as uh, equatable to 50%. So uh, I, Ooh, I'm aware of this, is John. I, <laughs> what the heck? I'll get you a Zipa. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Get, yeah, those. you guys get those crazy commercials out there, too? Yeah. <laughs> a dude from New York. Yeah. Come and get you a Zipa. <laughs> yeah, it's all disrespectful. But, uh, you should get a Zipa. Yeah. Mm. Well, I, I, uh, you know, I know you're, ta- I know you're talking about John, and but but he's not to be taken lightly because cause the moment we let our guard down uh, as veterans and veterans advocates, uh, that's when these 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 resolutions get they change law. So I think any time that, uh, uh, for example, the sleep apnea thing we just talked about and and the TDIU that we just talked about. Uh, veterans and advocates for veterans and friends and relatives continue to to call your congressmen, call your senators, email uh, Secretary Shulkin and President Trump. Do you hear anything about any benefits being taken away from veterans? Uh, make sure your voice is heard because the moment we get lax, that's when those laws change. That Houston, yeah, issue, uh, that Houston, that, that Houston issue deserves a call to the hotline, girl. <clears throat> that lady needs to call the Trump hotline if her claims mess up like that. She needs to call it. That gets results. We went, yeah. we went, we went, we went through that, guys. Um, I'm making all the calls I can, and and leading into what I talked before. Right now, as I mentioned, with the Appeals Management Center, they changed that to the Appeals Management Office, and apparently they're they're designed to be the direct hub to make the centralized decision for the entire country on claims, how they get rated, and what order they get rated, and what claims are brokered and what aren't. I'm telling you, John, everyone's towing this company line, even through the undersecretary and the secretary, they're all towing this company line that this is the route we're going. I'm getting these boilerplate answers from these from these mm-hmm. regional offices that keep throwing that CFR in my face. Does he have a terminal illness? Is he 90 years old? Uh, is, is, is he in financial hardship? Well, no. All right then, sir. He waits his turn just like everyone else, and that's what we're hearing. And they're digging their heels in on that. 
I've seen the Trump hotline work twice. That's something you look at. They don't like getting phone calls and from, or emails from the White House. It makes them act on something. I'm still doing it. I'm still. I'm still. I'm not. I haven't given up. I'm. I'm still greasing the kids. All I'm saying is it's getting a lot harder. That's all. Yeah. Well, they're making it harder. That's. Uh, that's. That's just, just the way they're doing it. And uh, you know they do this stuff to Mulvaney. He'll have all these ideas and recommendations out. And, They'll get a new regime in, and you know, when a, a new like the Republicans are took over, and they'll start running their ideas with them again. And then when they go out, the Democrats take back over. They'll be running that again. So, but, but what, what, I, what, what I try to do, what I try to do, guys, and Gerald, you touched on that a little bit. What I try to do as a, as a uh, an accredited appeals agent with the Office of General Counsel, what I try to do is get into VA claims files when veterans allow me to do that. And, and fix what's broken. I do my best, and, and for the most part, I'm pretty successful at that. Uh, I do what's called an executive review of the entire VA claims file. Uh, I go through it from beginning to end to find out exactly what we can do about fixing the appeal, uh, or if there's claims that should have been filed that weren't filed. We try to do that. We initiate new claims. We file secondary or adjunct claims. I've got doctors in Minnesota. I've got a doctor in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I've got a doctor in Arizona. They're all pro-veteran. They do independent medical opinions, and that's something that uh, veterans need to be aware of. There are doctors out there that I'm aware of that will do independent medical opinions for you, and for the most part, they're favorable medical opinions. So that's worked out really well. Oh, I bet. Yeah, that's good to know. Because you need an independent medical opinion, uh, IMO. Uh, anytime you're going up against the VA medical personnel, they call them doctors and everything else. A lot of them nurse practitioners with a doctor just signing off on their nonsense. But... Uh, it appears they have no desire to get to the straight of things. Uh, if you tell them yes, they'll put no. If you tell them no, they'll put yes. Uh, they fill out their forms on the computer, and you can't tell most of the time uh, what they're putting in. I get a lot of compensation examiners that try to do right by veterans. But on the flip side, I get a lot of compensation examiners that don't. It seems like they go out of their way to deny a veteran. There is a thing called reasonable doubt, as likely as not. I wonder if some of them even heard of those phrases. And so, uh, yeah, it, 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 you know, it, it does be frustrating. CFR 3.102 does talk about reasonable doubt in favor of the veteran. So if a condition is as likely as not related to the military or related to a service-connected disability, you have to grant service connection for it. So that's where it gets a little bit frustrating. And certainly when you get a doctor that does a compensation exam, they may cross all the T's and dot all the I's. They may do everything they're supposed to do to, uh, to, to deny the claim. Uh, but that's when a good medical opinion comes into play, an independent medical opinion that, that uh, uh, a doctor on our side would be able to produce so we can present in support of any types of appeals or 
or uh, remands or anything of that nature. And, and it, it, it works really well because for the most part, if it does go to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, those administrative law judges and, and, and their, uh, their staff, they go through it pretty closely. And for the most part, they make the right decision. Uh, sometimes they don't. That's why we have the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. But uh, for the most part, if it goes to the Board of Veterans Appeals, I'm fairly confident that we're going to get what we need. The unfortunate part, when we're looking at the Board of Veterans Appeals, we're waiting a very long time. Well, you have to have them IMOs to get around the, the offset what the uh, BA medical people say, CMP examiners, uh, because some of them are in such a hurry they they you know it's like they don't care, so uh, they don't want the truth whether it's to the veterans' benefit or not. So if you're not able to go in there and, and counteract or or offset what what they've they've said, then chances are you're going to be in trouble. Looks well, like that regional that's... office down the road here, girl. You know they look at you, they look at your stuff, and they see your they see your examination, and they know they start looking at the benefit of the doubt rule, and they. The interpreters is it's not your benefit that you're going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're you about you know who I'm talking about, don't you, John? Yeah, I do. That, that was a battle which we eventually won, but we got another iron in the fire that we're still battling, too, that you, you know who I'm talking about yeah. there. Um, oh, yeah. The, the, for, the, the fortunate, I think the fortunate part about the regional office you're talking about, which is Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky, is is I like to think I made a pretty positive impression on them. They know my name out there. Uh, they know they know they know I know my head from and so that if I'm going to call them, uh, they know it's legit. And so I've I've made pretty good inroads with respect to the appeals supervisor and a couple of decision review officers. But but you're right, John. As a whole, uh, I, I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done out there. But I was, yeah, guys. I, mean, I was, I was surprised. I, you know, when I talked to the people in Houston, uh, it, was, it was amazing. And I, and I think that, in the grand scheme of things, I, I think certainly Houston is in the top five of the busiest regional offices in the country. And so, even if we give them the benefit of the doubt that they're working these cases as fast and as efficient as they can, why not broker them out? I, I, I can't emphasize that enough to the appeals management office. Find these regional offices that are more than three years out on original claims of appeals. Broker those appeals out to other regional offices who aren't out that far. I mean, make it fair. Just because you live in a regional office like Houston or St. Petersburg or, or Chicago or something like that, why should you suffer? I think the entire country needs to uh, disperse those uh, appeals out evenly. Well, that's a good idea, John. I don't know if they do or not. I mean, sometimes it seems like they keep them on a truck somewhere. You never know where in the world it's going to end up. You know, Gerald, they do. They've been brokering claims for years. 
And so I don't, for instance, you know, I I worked out of the Minneapolis-St. Paul area for for years and and as an advocate. And I still do, but on a government advocacy, uh, the the, the St. Paul V regional office brokered claims to Denver all the time. And and St. Paul would take claims from Lincoln, Nebraska. I mean, each regional office, as I understand it, has their own sister site that they trade back and forth. But that changes, too. If you've got a regional office in Houston that's five years out on original notices of disagreement, appeals, and you've got a regional office in, uh, well, Lincoln, Nebraska or or Phoenix, and they're only a year year and a half out or a year, wouldn't it make sense to broker those claims to that regional office? Absolutely. I mean, I understand that the veterans in Arizona or Lincoln aren't going to be happy about that, but come on, it's, we're all veterans. It's about fair play. Let's get every veteran taken care of. There's no reason that anyone in Houston should be waiting five years. There's no reason anyone in St. Petersburg, Florida, should be waiting four to five years. Ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And, you know, another thing I've found, uh, John, is whenever a claim is remanded back, it's remanded back with a set of orders, uh, I mean, written in into it, uh, the statement of case or what have you. And... I find that the regional office or wherever it's remanded back to do not follow those instructions. What you're talking and about, therefore Jeremy. you end up in a cycle of continuous remands. The, the Board of Veterans' Appeals in their decisions specifically dictates that remands are to be expedited. There's a specific law on that. I don't know that off the top of my head, but it specifically well, states in there that these remands will be expedited. Now, what's yes. expedited you and me, Gerald, is, is probably different than what a, a regional office might think. I got a story for you. I got a case out in Denver, Denver, Colorado, and uh, this case was remanded in 2015, June of 2015, and uh, uh well, I'll just be honest. It's my case, and and I didn't I didn't push it because I got my other clients. I I I'd rather sit back and let other clients. I'd I'd rather work on their cases. But I finally got to the point where my case was on remand from the BVA. Uh, it's the Denver, Colorado VA Regional Office. It was two years old. Now, if this was an original appeal, I understand that. Houston's waiting five years, and most regional offices are waiting at least two, if not three years. So I get that. But this is a BVA remand that dictated that these regional offices are to expedite it. So it was two years. The response I got from the uh, appeals supervisor four weeks later was that, Mr. Garley, we told you before that we're working remands from 2013. I said, well, that's I said, I'm calling BS on that because that's that's not the case. You, what you're quoting there are appeals, not remands. And I said, and I CC'd, I copied the director and the assistant director and the veteran service center manager on that too. And I was very professional and polite about it, but I made it very clear 
but that's not to be expected with, with, with the respect to remands. Maybe original appeals, but not remands. In two weeks, I got my case remanded back to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, which is what I wanted because I knew Denver wasn't, wasn't going to do right by me. So the fact is they did what I wanted them to do, but it, it shouldn't take that type of anxiety and aggression and blood, sweat, and tears to get them to do their job. So no, I guess the point, the point being, guys, is that remands, the, the, the track, the time frame track for remands is a whole lot different than the time frame track for original appeals. Original appeals, unfortunately, are taking a lot longer. Remands from the Board of Veterans' Appeals should not be taking that long. If your case has been on remand longer than a year, you need to start banging on the door. I let mine wait two years because I wasn't too terribly excited about uh, you know, I, I, I'm satisfied with where I'm at right now, but I just want to see how long it would take Denver to actually do something. And I think if I didn't squawk about it, it would still be sitting there. But did they follow the orders of the remand? They thought, That's what well, I've run into with my claim. They don't follow the orders of the remand. My my case was very, very unique. Uh Somewhere along the line in the past, five, six years ago, I don't even remember, at one point in time I had requested a video conference. Well, a lot of things had changed since then, and it went to the Board of Veterans' Appeals, and the Board of Veterans' Appeals picked up on the fact that at one time I checked a box for a video conference. Now, this was, this was, well, this was a good five, six years ago. And I had since let them know I didn't want a video conference anymore, but they picked up on that. So Board of Veterans' Appeals remanded it back to... To Denver, um, based on the fact that I asked for a video conference and that that video conference had to be conducted before any decision was made, uh, and, and I explained to Denver, I had to tell them like three or four times because I kept getting requests for uh, coming in for the hearing. I told them, I said four times already, I told you, I don't want a video conference anymore. Please get that through your thick skulls. Now, I didn't say that, but I made it very clear. Finally, they, they, it was clear to them there's no no reason that it should have been sitting there in Denver for two years when the remand was specifically because I wanted a video conference. I don't want it anymore. I said there's no reason to keep it anymore. Send it back to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. So in answer to your question, Gerald, yeah, they they did. Uh, the only edict on BVA remand was that video conference. It was a very slick, quick in and out. But I think yeah. what you're talking about, Gerald, is, is BVA remands can get very very specific. You have to have compensation exams. You have to follow the Veterans Claims Assistance Act in November 2000. There's a lot of different reasons claims are remanded that the regional office doesn't follow. And you're right, Gerald, when they get these claims back from the Board of Veterans Appeals, they don't follow the edicts of the remands. They might hit on some of them, but they don't follow them all. For instance, a BVA remand specifically will state, in many cases, that, that, a board, that a certified medical specialist in this specific type of disability has to be the one conducting the compensation exam. Sure as heck, they call them in for a compensation exam and it's a nurse practitioner. Now, that's not always bad, though, guys, because I usually let that play out because sometimes those nurse practitioners will go, go for it. They'll 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 uh, they'll opine in our favor, and we're like, okay, good. But 
if they don't, then we've got them to say, hey, this, <laughs> this is not a, a, a medical specialist. This is not an orthopedist. This is not an oncologist. This is not some sort of specialist. This is a nurse practitioner. I'm not coming down on nurse practitioners, but the fact is they don't hold the same degree, knowledge, experience that a board-certified specialist does. So if a nurse practitioner rules in our favor, great. I'll let that play out. But if, it, if she doesn't or he doesn't, uh, then, then I, I'm on them pretty quick. Yeah, that's, uh, that's more or less what I was referring to. But it goes beyond that, too. But uh, that's a prime example. Uh, they send that down, uh, the remand back, with a set of more or less instructions for the regional office uh, to get the proper data that they're supposed to be getting, and they, you know, as far as I can tell, there's not a sincere attempt to acquire that data. And, Gerald, I think what what really needs to happen is if these veterans or these claimants get these types of decisions from the BVA uh, and it's remanded for specific instructions, I can't stress enough that you need to get a power of attorney that knows what they're doing, that can follow this claim, that can bird dog the VA and make sure they do right, cross the T's and dot the I's. If a veteran's going solo, I mean, you're already two steps behind the curve. Or if they've got an advocate that doesn't return phone calls, doesn't return letters, uh, gives misinformation, uh, you know, it's really time to get a different advocate. Uh, I like to think that, that I cover all my bases, and I know there are other peers out there that, that I work with that do as well. Uh, John Brown is the other accredited appeals agent here in Minnesota. We work together sometimes, and and he and I are one of a handful that I would trust with any veteran's claims file. So um, that's just how I feel about it. It might sound arrogant, but that's how I feel about it. If, if I get my hands on a claims file, uh, I feel comfortable in saying I'd whip it into shape. Well, that's a good deal. So, but I don't know, guys. We were talking earlier about President Trump and and Secretary Shulkin about the accountability law that they signed into effect. I think that's worth mentioning. It. I don't know all the specifics about it, John Stacy. Maybe you follow that closer. But from what I understand. It's holding VA employees much more accountable to doing their job, and that's not only on the the benefit side, but the healthcare side as well. Yeah, it gives, and, uh, uh, the pre- uh, it gives the president more power and Shulkin uh, more power to get rid of employees that are not doing a good job, and takes out a lot of the union crap and things like that. That's a pretty good bill in some ways, but. The only thing I don't like is the evidence requirement to the BBA. The rest of it seems to be pretty good. What, what about the whistleblower, too? I think there's a lot more protection for whistleblowers. Isn't that right, John? And there needs to be. Yeah, my understanding well, is that uh, people can uh, uh, report uh, malfeasance by their supervisors and their coworkers without fear of retribution. They can still so report it. And they're, still, 
they're still going to get retributed against regardless, and they'll have to get down, start firing a few of them in order to make it stick. I think I think you're probably right, uh, but at least at least the uh, template's been laid, and hopefully it uh, it carries more teeth as as we go on. Um, I think what it comes down to, folks, is that if you're in a position where you see malfeasance by a supervisor or a coworker, uh, retribution or not, you should report that. I mean, it's affecting veterans, so uh, it's your responsibility to report that regardless of the uh, fallout against you. And, 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 you know, no one wants to lose their job. I get that. Uh, but if you have your facts straight, if you have everything documented, and if you have to lawyer up, lawyer up. The fact is, is that uh, these whistleblowers, they need protection. Well, yes, they do. But I was reading an article, I think ben, Benjamin Krauss put it out, uh, that now, uh, being to have that, <clears throat> it opens the door for uh, uh, a whistleblower, supervisor, or whatever, if they think they might become problematic or a whistleblower, or they start making waves, that'll give them a, a a real opportunity to jump in there and start uh, saying their work's unsatisfactory and this and that, and the whistleblower or the individual they suspect might become problematic uh, will... Uh, give them an opportunity to get rid of them before they do. Now, I'm, I'm waiting to see how that works out. Well, there's no doubt, Gerald, if you're going to be a whistleblower, you better have your ducks in a row. Cause, cause you better certainly make whistle- your move quick. <laughs> and, there are, and, and there are whistleblowers out there that uh, hurl false accusations, too. I mean, there are there are ones out there like that. So... Uh, and we need to weed those people out, too. Yes. Yeah, we're trying to get an even playing field here, and uh, doggone it, it's hard to do when you're dealing with so many unscrupulous individuals. Boy. Uh, But uh, still... It uh, it's something we need to be watching, see how it works out. I think I think we just do the best we can, right, Gerald? You know, we 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 have our own little corner of the world, and we control what we can control, and and we let our voice be heard, and and we we try to influence as best we can. But uh, no single person can do it by themselves. It, it's going to take. Uh, Oh, it's, a it's a team uh, effort. It's a team effort. Yeah, yeah, We have a lot of good people come on the radio show here, and and uh, they want to give out the best possible information that they can. Don't mean they're always right, uh, because we all make mistakes and get to think them one way or another, but. Uh, at least we're trying to to get the word out. Uh, new legislation that 
uh, is coming about. We always try to stay on top of that. And uh, uh, different things are happening. Uh, so it, it's important. And, and the VA, for whatever reason, from one district to another, don't seem to function the same. So what is acceptable in, in one regional office may not be in another. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's weird. Uh, the VA is not constant, and it'd be a lot better organization than it was. There's no consistency, guys. I don't know, do you agree? I, I think that I, I've got the privilege now of, of working with, I don't know how many regional offices there are, probably about 60, 70 regional offices in the country, and I've got the uh, privilege of working with most of them. And there just isn't any consistency. You've got the super conservative regional offices that wouldn't grant a claim if their life depended on it. Then you've got regional offices that grant claims that even I don't know that I would have granted if I were in their shoes. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> Every regional office, for example, has an attorney agent fee coordinator, someone that myself or an attorney can call and get specific information on. Yeah. Each attorney fee coordinator, they all operate uh, differently, uh, and, and they all have the same national uh, – they have to abide by certain rules and guidelines with respect to, to how they're supposed to administer certain uh, uh, pieces of information to attorneys and, and agents such as myself. But uh, I, I've got one attorney fee coordinator in one regional office that will give me any, any information I want out of a VA claims file. And I've got another attorney fee coordinator in another regional office that won't give me anything and says, well, you need to put in a FOIA request. Well, let me tell you something about FOIA requests, people. If you put in a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act request to the VA on your own, it goes to the Records Management Center in St. Louis, Missouri. You're lucky if you get that document within a year. And so it's absolutely ridiculous. But, uh, well, that's another area. The Records Management Center in St. Louis, Missouri, they need more people, too. Because if you were to put in a request for your claims file today, you might yeah. get it in a year. You might get it in a year if you're lucky. Well, it took me a lot longer than a year to get anything from them. But, but uh, there's got to be more consistency with the VA, I think. We all have the same operating rules and guidelines. They all should be applied the same way, I think. But I know any, I was talking to <laughs> go ahead, John. Oh, I was just gonna um what, what were you gonna say, Gerald? I was gonna uh the St. Louis regional office, I know this he's a combat veteran. He has all sorts of issues. He's never filed a claim. He don't even have a D D two fourteen. And I told him send after his DD-214, 
which he did, and he gets a letter back from them, uh, the VA, saying they can't find his DD-214. They do know he was in the service from such and such a date, uh, uh, 71 to whatever, and that uh, his... Now, they put this in a letter. I'm going to try to get a copy of it. That his uh, files were burned up in the fire at St. Louis. Yep. Now, how many veterans do you run across that have not heard that story? But I, I think, think they might have put this in writing. That's what, uh, anyway, I, I yep. haven't. Uh, <laughs> I got a copy of it yet, but if I do, that'll be that'll be something. Uh, I, yeah, I've seen that letter, uh, Gerald. It's, it's you know, from what I can tell, there was a fire. I mean, I I was seven years old when it happened. I guess it was 1972, <laughs> uh, somewhere well, around there, and and it's it's really kind of blown into a, a whole different type of story. But but the fact is, is from what I can read and researched is there was a fire at the National Personal Records Center in 1971, I believe it was, 72, somewhere around there, and it only affected certain records. Now, if you're in the Navy or the Marine Corps, you're fine. But I if you're in the Air, Air Force, uh, and if you're in the Air, if you're in the Air Force, then only a certain number of records were, were destroyed, and that was... I don't remember what the letters were, but I'd have to research it. But it was always certain alphabetical letters that they were destroyed. And it was only for a time period prior to 1972, obviously, in the 60s sometime. The real, yeah. the real, the real hit was the Army records. And, and But, again, it only affected records during a certain time frame. But, yeah, unfortunately... Uh, if if you if you've got a service member that's looking to back up certain VA comp, compensable disability claims or on appeals, and they need those service medical records to back them up, uh, unfortunately those those records went up in flames, and so uh, getting compensated for those disabilities is is very difficult. Oh yeah, I imagine. But now, anyway, Gerald, you we'll talked see. about. You talked about the DD-214, Gerald. Now, they do issue equivalent DD-214. They're not called DD-214s. It's a NA Form 13065, if I remember right, NA Form, something like that. Uh, but it, 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 it does count as a replacement for a DD-214. I've never had a situation where the military couldn't cross-reference periodicals. And if a veteran served in the military, I've never seen them not get a discharge paper. Uh, so that individual you're talking about may not actually get the DD-214 that he or she was issued when they discharged, but they should get that NA form 13065, which is a statement of service equivalent to a DD-214. Oh, what form is that, John? It's an NA form. Now, I'm guessing at the yeah, number. I think it's a thir- I think it's a thirteen oh six five. But if you were to Google DD two fourteen replacement or equivalent NA form, 
uh, you would find it if you're if you surf the internet at all. You'd be able to find. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, you'd be able to find a website that talks about it. Yeah. Oh my. Well, I'll have to wait and see what they send him. But uh, so you have to be ready for. Anytime you're dealing with the VA, you have to be prepared to uh, hear whatever tale that coming down the road and not get too excited about it. Because remember, no matter what they do, there's a way of getting it fixed. And, I believe uh, that. Yep. I, yeah, I believe that too, Ed. Uh, just don't get excited and go off in the hub cussing someone out because you're wasting your breath and playing into their somebody idiot's game. Uh, uh, they must have a lot of jokers hired in there at the BA's line I can think of. But anyway, you have to deal with it and move on. Just remember, no matter what they do, you can fix it. If you if you're a veteran out there and and you're mired in appeals, or if you've been denied in the past, and you're past the appeal stage and you're thinking about reopening, uh, get in contact with me, uh, or get in contact with with someone that does what I do. Um, even if it's a a paid government official, at least get in contact with them and do a review of the file um, before the show's over. If it's okay, I'd like to leave my name and, and phone number, too. Oh, and my, go ahead, my, John. Go ahead. My email, too. So if anyone wants to call me directly, um, I won't guarantee anything, but I'll guarantee I'll do my best. But uh, my phone number is area code 651, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul, area code 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. If I don't pick up, leave a message. I'll call you back as soon as I can. If you want to email me, uh, you can reach me at uh, benefitsagent at comcast.net. That's, again, that's just like it sounds, benefits, plural, benefitsagent at comcast.net. Yeah, good deal. Yeah, folks, give John a call if you have a... Uh think he might be able to utilize his services. He's a good man. He'll do you right. And remember that uh, it does take some work and you got to put your own effort into it also. you got to help out. And, so, and, and guys, this is, and this is my job. I, this is not just a hobby. Um, I literally put in about 55, 60 hours a week. I probably put in more hours than I should, but, but I enjoy what I'm doing. So this is my livelihood, and it's my business. So I'm going to give you everything. Um, if you call, great. If you don't, then, then I certainly wish everyone out there luck in their VA claims process, and, and I hope they find an advocate, a power of attorney, that they like and they trust and does right by them. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything else for you guys. Do you have any other questions that uh, you want to ask me? 
Uh, John, you got anything? No, sir. I'm just soaking all this information in there. It takes me a while to process it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, John. Well, you know, John, you and I talked about this. Like, John Stacy, I keep telling you, you know, you need to get accredited like me. You need to handle that uh, that Kentucky uh, region so uh, so so you can fix those claims as well. You know, you know, you got the brains to do it. You just need to get accredited to do it, right? Yeah, I'm thinking very seriously about it, John. I've got some things I got to do here in the next few months, anyway. So I do. Uh, I might have some help to do it. You know, I've got a lady that can help me. So I might just jump into it. I just uh, I haven't decided fully yet, but when I do, I'll I'll. I'll be the first one to go off a diving board and off a deep end. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know what, John? Uh, I'll I'll help you in any way I can. I when I when I jump ship from the government into a private entity, uh, John Brown, yeah. who who you guys know, he mentored me. He he taught me the uh, the ways to get accredited and and the forms to use and the whole thing. And so he helped me a lot. And you can have you can be the most knowledgeable advocate in the world, but unless you know your way around uh, the works as a power of attorney and independent agent, uh, it, it's a rough go. Yeah. So, and I've told you this before, John. If, if you ever wanted to lean on me on 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 how to go about this process, I'm more than happy to help you out. Heard I might give you a call, John. I'll shoot you an email. Good. Sounds good. When I get started in the process, that's good. Thank you for the for the offer. I appreciate it. But yeah, I got nothing else, guys. Um, again, my my phone number, if, if if anyone's listening out there or hears me on podcast later, it's at six five one three zero three three zero six two. That email is uh, benefits. That's plural benefits agents at comcast dot net. Well, with that, John. I think we can uh, sign off here. We're run nearly out of time anyway. <laughs> yeah, we're it's just going to It's been a pleasure. Have you uh, on any time. Okay, John. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on, and and uh, you give us some good information today, and uh, we'll be looking forward to the next time you come on. Okay, thanks, guys. Take care. I'm going to go now. And thank you. All right. Bye-bye. And bye. And uh, with that, uh, uh, John, you got anything else to add? Anybody you want to come back? Take a fork in it. We're done. <laughs> oh, we're done. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, folks, we appreciate you tuning in, listening. And uh, this will be Gerald Cook with Jay Basser. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basher Show.